Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Thomas lives in Beijing, China, and has been living there since before the pandemic began. He spoke about his decision to stay in Beijing, his feeling that China has done well to keep up with regulations and management of the virus, that things reopened rather quickly, and his own personal experience watching technology in use, in action, in order to support the industries and people around the country. It was late December, early January, early January 2020. I remember seeing some seeing some emails from the U.S. Embassy about a novel virus uh, that seemed to have been uh, discovered in Wuhan. Um, There's just some mild travel advisory type of warnings and uh, pretty typical of emails the embassy sends out. I'd say I've been pretty consistent in viewing it as a pretty large threat. Pretty early on, I think being in a foreign country and being in a situation that had echoes of, of SARS, I'd say my alarm bells were you know, ringing a little louder than maybe it would have been otherwise. Yeah, I always viewed it as a pretty large threat and more more so of a unknown of, of what it of what it could lead to, both of the virus itself and, and as far as how society handles it. I'd say my only changes are my assumptions about like how different parts of the world might react to it. I didn't expect it to develop as it did, especially in, you know, supposedly stable and advanced Western countries. And I thought initially, you know, it would just be a pretty contained thing within China and maybe Asia, but yeah, I didn't expect, uh, I knew it was a possibility, but didn't really expect that it'd be like that. Well, right now, um, so essentially since summer of 2020, maybe like post April and May, things got pretty much normal. And sort of, it just kind of depends on the specific parts of the cities you're in or specific cities or specific provinces. Um, just, you know, China's, China's massive. Um, Beijing's been, been pretty good in that things are, have always been pretty careful. But once it seemed like the transmission was under control, it was, there was always a pretty consistent, you know, mask wearing policy, or at least like a social kind of informal, you know, mask wearing tendency um, in public areas, especially like uh, malls or public transit, like uh, metros and 
in uh, the DD drivers, which is like Uber. And that's kind of uh, still still been going on. And it's been recently in the past couple of weeks, it's been a little bit more because there's been a, a slight slight rise, at least relative to, to the numbers as they've been. At least in Beijing, there hasn't been anything, you know, fully shutting down or locking down. There's been some of that in some parts of Shanghai and Shenzhen, as far as I know. But in Beijing, like, it's still still feels, you know, as, as normal as it has been. I'd say, like, maybe the new newest thing that's been going on is, like, at my school, I think they're basically doing testing, like, now weekly of all the, the students and teachers and just in an effort to, to keep open. And that that's pretty much, as far as other teachers I know in other parts of the city, uh, it seems to be uh, throughout other schools as well. Like it is slightly odd in the last couple of weeks, but not really, uh, it's, it's still pretty normal. I like can go out and, and, and do stuff pretty much, uh, just slightly raised. There's also the, the health code app and that's an app that runs through uh, WeChat. And that's like their contact tracing uh, mechanism. If you're green, you're good. If it's, if I believe it's, if it's yellow, there's a suspected, like a suspected contact with somebody who has it or suspected to have it. And then if it's red, then it means that you're, you're exposed or you have it. Usually if, I've never had yellow, um, it's always been green. If there is suspected contact, then you just get, get a test and like really quickly, it, you know, if it's negative, then it changes and it's fine. So the contact tracing thing, you scan in at a lot of different places, like you know, if you go out to a bar or um, into the into a mall, uh, you scan in and all it does is just kind of leaves a, a ping of your location, essentially. And they can use that where if there is a, a contact, they can make it public. I mean, not the person's identity, but make it public that like where they were on you know whatever days and people can check for themselves and that yeah that that kind of helps so that's the two main things like two main things is the mask wearing and the uh health code app but even the mask wearing like when it's i don't know when it's when it's not really normal all the times like that's pretty loose still well i mean most importantly is that i haven't been back home Basically, since before the pandemic, um, summer of 2019 was the last time I was back home, seeing my family and friends. Uh, so that's the main thing. And I mean, I could have gone back. I think the sort of like the first, you know, into the into 2020, I was planning on transitioning back, kind of permanently. But after reassessing how things were going here versus back home, decided it's in my best interest to stay put. And as far as the travel limitations go, it's you can leave, like there's no problem leaving. Um, it's just that the process to get back in is extremely difficult. Even if you have proper, you know, visa and residence permit worked out, it's still very difficult. And uh, at least two week quarantines um, and that kind of thing at, at hotels before being allowed to do anything. So, so initially that winter, so at the time I was engaged and I wasn't going to be leaving my ex-fiance now. Um, I wasn't going to be leaving her because she's native Chinese, doesn't have green part of America and all that stuff. So my initial decision to stay put um, was based off of that. Maybe I, you know, if I was single, I might have, I might have left. And uh, I knew people who either before, even before it became a big deal here, because like our vacation started and then like a few days later, it became a big deal during the, the spring festival holiday. Um, but I knew people who 
left to go back for the winter you know, spring festival vacation. And then they got basically trapped outside. You know, I might've gone back and, and made a visit that winter, but then basically got trapped and had to work online. And then eventually probably just move on from, from the job and not come back. Um, or I might've just, you know, left and, you know, fled, but <laughs> glad I didn't because by the time March and April uh, started to roll around, you know, it was pretty clear that we had things under control here, actually, and um, it was just beginning back home. And so I definitely didn't want to go back into a situation where it's a novel virus. And, you know, even if I'm not particularly worried for my own health or safety, like I just kind of had a philosophy that during a worldwide pandemic, it's probably better to stay put, especially since it seemed like the community around me was doing the right things. I trusted that that would continue. Not to mention, you know, if I was a teacher in the U.S., you know, that I would have had a lot longer time working online and all of that than I ended up doing here. It's only like a couple months of that. And frankly, some of my students are kind of like, oh, we're, we're sick of on-site now. We kind of want some online time. I think from our standpoint, like I talked about the, the contact tracing aspect. And I mean, that's the, I think that's one of the critical things because um, I mean, you think of China, it's you know, a very large country, maybe like the, the places that seem to do well were like islands and you wouldn't expect maybe China to be like that, but you know, they, yeah, they, they shut down things and they made this the major population centers down to like the individual compounds, like an island basically. And, you know, it, it became very segmented, but from my point of view, yeah, things slipped through, slipped through the cracks, but everybody got what they, you know, needed and were, were able to isolate in the early days and it was no no big deal to be honest uh, I mean it was a lot but you know comparatively it seemed seemed to work and so the contact tracing paired with that all you know all, all the cities had their walls up and it was easy to you know for them to track the movement of the virus and you know shut it down when there's breaches that's that's a pretty major thing as far as the technology on a personal level you know definitely relying on Delivery services uh, when you're isolated back way back at the beginning um, became, you know, very very easy, uh, especially yeah, in like the large cities like Beijing and but even elsewhere. I think the delivery system here is pretty highly developed already. Um, I mean, I haven't even even now in normal days like I haven't gone to a grocery store. I just <laughs> order all the groceries um, and have them delivered just because it's easier and I found that through the pandemic that was the best option as well as just regular Taobao deliveries you know on a personal level that was that made things a heck of a lot easier to 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 deal with instead of having to go out all the time for the communication aspect for communicating back home with friends and family of course when you know zoom came around but you know we already had other ways of doing that before that was always you know I think I made it a lot easier than probably in you know prior decades of or so on, like, you know, to be away from home for this long, at least, you know, uh, can can communicate on, on video calls and uh, no big deal. Same thing with the education side of it, uh, the work side of it, that working on their platforms uh, were pretty easy. And we already had some online support before that. So it was pretty easy transition. I mean, I think overall, the as far as the way students behaved with the online teaching, it was Kind of predictable that like you know the students who are going to take it seriously take it seriously the ones who are kind of uh not you know in, in normal classes they, they're not going to be all that engaged anyway the same thing happened in online so i didn't see it as too much of a difference 
Although, yeah, it's sometimes frustrating if, you know, they don't have their cameras on and you're just talking to black boxes, but it didn't have much of an effect, I think, as people like to <laughs> criticize. Yeah, I mean, I had I had two doses and it was done through my, not through my, well, it wasn't done at my school, but like my, my school arranged it for, for everybody and we went on our own two clinics during during our work hours and, and got it done. And it was a, a clinic that had good foreign uh, support as well. I know the boosters came out, like the, the booster shot came out like this past fall. Yeah, so I got my two vaccines, yeah, April 15th, 2021, and then the second shot, May 17th, 2021. I think it had already been like maybe a month or two since by the time I had gotten it. Uh, well, no, actually it was longer. Like, yeah, there's a pretty good stretch of time between when I got it and when they were starting to vaccinate. At that time, again, like in, in that time, it wasn't like any high watermark of the pandemic with a lot of transmission. So it was kind of like, I wasn't in a rush to get it, not for any like, vaccine denial reasons and not not at all. It was more just like, let them prioritize the people who need it and when it rolls around to me, right? Um, but I wasn't afraid at that time of any transmission whatsoever. Um, it was completely normal. I'd say uh, maybe two things. Uh, there was one, one time um, and we had been maybe a few weeks into our own sort of uh, home quarantine time I remember I was watching I was watching the Super Bowl that year, and my uh, ex fiance, you know, sort of passes by, and she's like, "Or no, no I was watching maybe it might have been it might have been a college basketball game or an NBA game, um, something like that." And my and my my former fiance passed through, and she's like, "Why are there even people in the stadium?" And this is before this is like February, early February, mid February. She's like, "You know, why are there even people, you know, there at all?" I'm like, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, it seems like, yeah, maybe maybe they should be. I think at that time, like maybe Italy starting was, was starting to get a little bit of a curve going. And then and then yeah, a couple of weeks later, it just like that that's when it changed everything for people in America and, and most most other, you know, parts. Yeah, that's one little tidbit that has just kind of like, I don't know, just reframed the what you know, what was gonna be normal uh, for people back home. Um, cause I, you know, before I thought it was just kind of a, mostly a thing that, you know, we had to deal with here. The other, you know, I, I think that the sort of flashbulb memory, if you will, for me is always going to be like, literally is the night before, uh, we would have, uh, went on our basically vacation for the spring festival. Yeah. The society became entirely like was starting to get, you know, pretty well aware of it. It was like January 20th or so. I mean, it's always been kind of a little bit known and then it, you know, it's hard to keep, you know, keep it on the down low. And then I think it, as it approached the spring festival, I think the government and, and officials were just kind of like, yeah, we're gonna have to do something here. It was looking like we were going to be heading to her hometown and her hometown is in uh, Hubei province, not too far from Wuhan, uh, in a city called Qingzhou. It was just like the night before our train ride, we just kind of like, you know what, we're staying here. And really good that we did because if we had gone on that train the next day, we could have, uh, we would have been stuck in Wuhan for months, probably. If we had made it to Jingzhou to her parents' house, uh, would have been stuck at her you know, parents' house, which was a pretty rural you know, village, not so great, <laughs> you know, low standard of living place. And yeah, would have been stuck there for, I don't know, 
two or three months before, you know, that would, you know, be able to get back to Beijing. So yeah, I'll always sort of remember that night where it's just like, we made, we made a really good call and, and stayed put and we're able to at least live in comfort in our apartment. So, you know, I mentioned my ex-fiance and I think another effect was that like, I think our relationship was put under a lot of strain uh, from that as well. Um, because then the, the following winter, once once things started to get more normal, the, that relationship ended. I do think that being in the close quarters and, and, you know, the apartment that we had in Beijing was pretty tiny. And being in that close quarters and sort of also having our long-term planning disrupted and, um, you know, sort of reassessing our, our priorities, I think that led to you know, maybe a challenge in trying to adapt to things. Um, so that, that, that's, that, is, that was one part of it. I always got kind of bothered or annoyed by the perception of how China was doing things or what was actually going on in China at the time, just from the outside media and how they portrayed stuff or people not having a lot of context to things. Um, and that's part of my reason for writing tons of articles. I know that there's um, a lot of, you know, justified suspicion in some cases of the things in China. Uh, but in terms of handling of the pandemic, uh, honestly, it's hard to find much fault in, in, in some in the actions that they took, especially since for, for us here, it was such a huge unknown right at the very beginning, didn't have an understanding of what was going on. That'd be the other thing. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. <laughs>